Hey ladies, welcome back to the Be Bold Podcast. This is your host, Chinway, aka Gorgeous Chi, and this is Season 2, Episode 2. Welcome back for another episode. I hope you guys enjoyed Episode 1. Due to having a guest in the length of today's episode, we're going to jump straight into the bold review. Happy Minority Mental Health Month! Yes, July is a month completely dedicated to minorities prioritizing and educating themselves on mental health. I love it. I love to see it. Did not know this month was that, but I love that that we could have a space to talk freely um, about mental health. And so I found this great article on Touchstone Mental Health, and that is touchstonemh.org, that just explains a little bit further about mental health in the minority communities and so just to just to speak on black families african-american families for this moment there's a lot that we deal with growing up in a society and growing up in a world that is not tailored to us and we have normalized it so much over the years we have normalized it so much over the years that we are functioning like we are almost like everyone's almost high functioning anxiety. Almost everybody has high functioning anxiety or high functioning depression. There's a lot of stuff going on that we don't acknowledge. And to tell tell you the truth, I'm truly impressed with the way black people have been able to, you know, still go through all of these things, you know, either in their past trauma, current trauma current trauma right with everything going on right now and still excel in some way in this world but imagine if you can unpack your trauma and put it behind you how much you will propel forward black people honestly everybody in this country almost see um mental health disorders at the same rate is just that there's a huge stigmatization of mental health in the black and minority communities, which, you know, leaves people without resources, leaves people without education, and kind of just leaves people to navigate the world um, without any assistance. And like I said, I'm very impressed with black people who are able to navigate this world despite the traumas and still make something of them, make something of themselves. But it's not to say or... It's not to say, that's not everyone's situation, you know? People's mental health, black people's mental health has deterred them from being able to do, you know, to live out their dreams or live out their passions or just to live openly and freely in this world. And we have this entire month dedicated to educating us about what mental health really is, destigmatizing what mental health means um, to the black community, teaching people how to prioritize their mental health because some people don't i know just a great example parentified youth and that happens a lot with black and brown families because black and brown families are more likely to have family-based trauma that might be you know only one parent a one-parent household a parent that might be in jail a parent that might be addicted to drugs um no parents at all, right? Whether there was abuse in the home, sexual or physical or emotional abuse, 
this happens to a lot of black people and we make jokes about it on Twitter because that's just our that's our life and we grow we grow up and we talk about oh my mom used to beat me for this and we used to laugh about all the things our parents used to beat us with or laugh about all the different ways that we got in trouble but to be honest a lot of, a lot of other families are not going through the same things and yes they've made us strong quote unquote but for some people it does what's the right word for it 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 stops your growth at a certain point in your life so just to fully explain when you experience a huge trauma in your life and if you experience this child trauma as like a child or an adolescent research shows that that trauma affects whether or not certain neurological pathways in your brain connect so for example your attachment styles are determined through your childhood. Your communication style is determined through your your childhood. Um, the way you connect with others, the way you receive love, these those things are all developed in your childhood. So if black people are more likely to experience childhood trauma, and there's a huge stigmatization on mental health sources that can help black people in the black community, then we're just going to continue raising you know, black and minority children to continue these, you know, generational cycles of, you know, mental health problems, mental health disorders. And we are now in like a rare time in history where there's not that much of a stigma on mental health right now. And I say that, I say that because Literally, Charlemagne the God. I'm only bringing Charlemagne the God up because this is the person I would have never expected in a million years to write a whole book on anxiety. So, and he coming about coming out about how the things that happened to him in his childhood affected him as an adult and affected how he interacted with people and how he treated people. Um, so, and there are so many black mental health sources. There are like there's very minimal in regards to black men, but there are many many mental health services and resources for women of color and minorities. And I'm definitely going to work on compiling those resources and letting you guys know about them because it's super, it's just super important to, you know, have these conversations. What does mental health mean to you? Ask, ask yourself or ask the people around you, why is there a stigma around mental health? Um, and if they can't really give you a full answer, then they don't really have a full answer for you. Don't feel ashamed if you want to prioritize your mental health. Don't feel ashamed if you have questions about how to further, you know, learn more and educate yourself. Instagram is a great resource. So if you're looking to educate yourself, you know, following my podcast page at Be Bold Podcast on Instagram. Um, we're going to be putting up things on about mental health on the page also listening to podcasts there are multiple podcasts about women's mental health or just mental health in the black community in general that if you do not have the resources and the money to actually go out and pay for it or you have there's a little stigmatization that you still have and you're wanting to learn more tap into these resources figure out what what it's all about and have the conversation with more people. DM me about it if you have no one else to talk to about it. You want to just learn more about mental health in the black community. So for this topic, this conversation I have in the next segment is with my cousin. Her name is Akuna Okiri and she's a master's in social work. She currently works with 
adults with disabilities and we're going to talk to her about her experience with mental health being a nigerian woman growing up in america and how that affects your mental health some self-care tips tips on how to bring this conversation up to your parents and a bunch of stuff in between so thank you guys for listening to this part i hope you guys enjoy the next segment thoughts of an introverted black girl Okay, welcome back. This is the segment Thoughts of an Introverted Black Girl. I have been joined. I have the pleasure of being able to talk to my cousin today, Akuna. Clap it up, everyone. A little round of applause. She is joining me virtually from Pennsylvania, from her social distance location. How's everything been? A specialist for a nonprofit agency that serves adults with intellectual disabilities as well as other co occurring disorders. Yes, uh, I love it. I love it. I love talking mental health. I love talking about, um, you know, the way our, the way we as humans and our intersectionality affects the way we behave, right? And so today's episode, we're talking about mental health in the Black community because I think it's more important and relevant now than ever. With everything going on with the George Floyd, um, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor cases, and honestly, you saw what happened recently? Yesterday? Yeah. In Atlanta? Yes, with the Wendy's that was lit on fire. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, that was yesterday. They shot an unarmed man behind the Wendy's. And that's just because um, someone in the Wendy's called the police saying that there was a man sleeping in his car and they shot him. I don't understand. It's like, it's almost like, you know, I don't even know what to think at this time because I don't know how your social media looks. It's like, fires. confusion where I stand with this I've made it clear at work right. I've made it clear on my social media I've made it clear with friends like there is no other option this is like this is a human rights issue and there's only two sides right. there is being the racist right. side and the anti-racist side and you got to choose your marker and I think like I drove like made my line in the sand with it and if you're not on my side I have to think of you as an enemy at this point you know right yeah and that's interesting you say that because for me at work I don't even want to get into the conversation with people. Like, that's just okay. where I stand because, like, you know, I've been working on, like, my different 
nuances and feistinesses and, you know, fire personality sides. But that's one thing I won't do. Like, I will not subject myself to having a discussion with somebody that I already know is ignorant based off of my geographical location. You know, they want, because they want, they want, they want to see a reaction from me and they're not going to get it. Oh, okay. So we were at work maybe two weeks ago and they were discussing like, oh, the protests and blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm staring straight ahead. Eyes glassed over. <laughs> I didn't say a word, but they're waiting for me to say something. Yeah. But I want you guys to know that my silence means don't speak to me about this unless you know what you're saying. <laughs> And I know people are like, you know, silence is violence. But for me, like, I'm already an outward person. But for me, I'm not going to waste my time to sit and have this discussion with you with people that have never been through the struggles that our people are protesting for. So why would I waste my time to have a conversation with you? Because after today, you can still leave and be a racist. So why would I waste my time? Okay. Just know you have no spot in my life. I love that that's your stance on it. <laughs> no, I, I do because it is exhausting to have the conversation at work. I brought it up at work just because I service young people, and I would be damned if someone is, talks about some all lives matter to these young people. You know, I that that's, that's just how I feel about it. I, I need to make it clear that... No, there's no all lives matter side. I'm going to make it clear that you are working alongside a black woman who has gone to protest and who's planning to go to protest. And this is a very important thing. And that's kind of why I brought it up because I don't want to hear ignorance because that because that's my stance on it. I don't want to leave it. I don't want anyone to second guess or try to like look at me and be like, do you think that you know, we can get this off on her? Because I have one co-worker. I work in a really small place. I have one co-worker who from Jump Street, you know, she was acting like a racist. Like, the first time I met her, she she asked me um, if I had a nickname. My name is two syllables. Like, you can't tell me, like, you can't tell me you need a nickname. And she's, like, this white girl with this blonde hair. And it, it was, like, people like her who I have to make my stance clear for. Like, don't don't come to me with all eyes matter. Don't come to me, oh, there's some good cops. Don't don't come to me with any like that. Come to me with your pockets open, ready to donate to these. Yeah, I, I sent them donation links because I was just like, hey, guys, donate to these causes because it's important to me. You work with a black woman. And then just take your purse out and do it. If you want to be racist when you go home, if your parents are racist, that, that's not has to do with me. But put your money, you know, where your fake mouth is. What's, what's interesting for me is that, like, West Orange, like North Jersey, is actually more progressive than other parts of the state. Yeah. So it's interesting to know that even though like North Jersey, New York area is more progressive, like there's still people living in these progressive areas with these old, timeless influences from the 1950s and 60s. Like, how do you live somewhere so progressive and diverse as Northern New Jersey outside of New York City, and mm-hmm. you're still stuck in like Podunk 1940s? How? Uh- you literally they try to they try to make it so like undercover right you know um we are i don't think i live in a community that's super segregated but there are different there are differences obviously between down the hill and up the hill and you know there have there are very very affluent families who live in this community um who despite like who like they live in this community and they send their kids to private school there's there's kids don't see school in the, you know this town at all so you know you send your kid to a private school where it's like a bunch of other white people who can who can afford that school that's how they keep those values up you know that's, that's how they you know they keep thinking about it despite the fact that you live in a, a town that celebrates Black Lives Matter, that um, celebrates LGBTQ rights and stuff like that, that celebrates um, minorities of all different types. Right. Like, you can't... And, and, and they, there's such a small community of them that it's like they can't even be outwardly. If you're if you're outward about it, you're going to have 100 people coming at you, right? I know when we had a protest down the street from my house, they were, like, warning people because there was, like, a truck that was driving super fast trying to hit black kids, apparently, in the town. And um, 
That, that's what they said on social media. I'm not sure if that was true, but that's only the thing, that's the only thing they can do. There will never be like an all lives matter rally in West Orange. At least I don't think so. You know, I, I think that there would be like probably 20 people who show up to it, and everybody else would probably be like, "Y'all can't do this." You know, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So they 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 try really really hard. You have to be really really racist to really try to upkeep your racist values in a community like this. And and I know it's very very different for you, right? Your community is right. literally polar opposite from where I live. Yeah. Right, and it's so interesting because, I, like we've talked about, I feel like New Jersey as a state in general is very progressive. You know, there are little pockets of, like, we know racism, you know. South you know, Jersey, yeah. Yeah, South Jersey, Italians, you know, whatever. But I live, obviously, I live in Lancaster, which is also an up, more up-and-coming progressive city, okay. per se. But there's still, like, people that are Amish, people that are very racist. You know, oh, you live next to, yeah, you do live next to the Amish. Yeah, yeah like, they're in town, like, if <laughs> But they showed up. They showed up for the Black Lives Matter movement. Exactly. And that's why I had to get somebody together on a Facebook post because they were like, oh, well, they weren't out there protesting when President Obama was in office, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, look, at the end of the day, people love to align the Amish with white America. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the Amish accept everybody. So they yeah. Food, whatever it is, you know, they have their own nuances or whatever, but they will, they will always stand up. Yeah, no, they will. I mean, they, they seem like they don't want problems. Like, that's why they have their own little community. They're all about their money, you know. They have farms. They have, you know, vegetable gardens. They yeah, they have a fully functioning community without us. They, yeah, they have a fully functioning... Yeah. And so, if if they feel compelled enough to leave that community to show us that they're against it, this would be like a huge issue, right? Like, they should... Yeah, they definitely came out and they stood. They stood to themselves, but and like you said earlier in the week, it it is super draining to get all this information. And I've tried to like, I've tried to unplug. Like currently, I'm off of social media, but that's just because I deleted my I deleted the app. I didn't delete my account, but that's what I have to do literally to get a peace of mind. Because every single time I go on there, it's like, whoo, Black Lives Matter, or like, it's like it's just like. The stone in your face, one, then two, it's like either a racist act is thrown in your face, either a, someone who's passed away, like a sad, sad story is the first thing you see, a sad video is the first thing you see. I'm like, damn, I have not seen black people have fun and enjoy themselves in a minute, <laughs> like in a while. Girl, it's a very interesting time to be in interracial couples as well, you know, and I, you know, I see that, mm-hmm. you know, and I think about them and I think it's very interesting because like some some people that obviously come from different cultures that have no problem with people that are not their color whether they're black white asian that have no issues with anybody that's not like them that don't doesn't align with however they identify themselves as feel this weird this this in-between feeling like okay so because i'm white like i hope my black counterparts that i have in my life don't think that i align myself with X, Y, or Z because of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then that breeds like, okay, well, I have to say something, right? Mm-hmm. And then, like, okay, well, what do I say? Yes. And it becomes like this, like, yeah. this tense energy of, like, awkwardness because they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to perceive themselves or put themselves. Even though we know the people that we align ourselves with that are not African-American, Black, or Nigerian, or whatever, mm-hmm. we know their values without them having to tell us. Exactly. Like, the fact that they you know, take the time to still make sure that we're comfortable knowing that this is their stance is very important. Mm-hmm. No, that's what I said. People need to, you need to verbalize 
what you're feeling in the moment. That's why the posting on social media is kind of important, right? Despite not being able to see it. You need to make a clear stance to me as your black friend or or to who you're around, how you feel about this. It doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out, like, sorry, crying thing. It doesn't have to be that at all. But you should make it clear that you are a part of the Black Lives Matter movement and protest by either what you're posting on social media, how you're speaking to me moving forward, um, and... You know, what What you expect, what I expect of you, are you bringing it to your family, right? Because necess- you don't necessarily always have to bring it to me. Are you bringing it to your family? Because that's where, the, you know, the views are messed up. You know, white people um, around my age group, you know, they seem to also be, you know, a little more progressive. There's always racist people. But, you know, their families, their families and their fathers and mothers, they usually don't have as much of an open mind as the as the people that we interact with. So... That's the, where you know what your family thinks. Go speak to your family about their values. Go speak to your family about what they're going to do now to change, right? I mean, you should, if you, at a certain age, your voice can be heard. I think uh, Gen Z, there was like a couple funny jokes about Gen Z because they've been, you know, arguing with their parents all day about Black Lives Matter, trying to explain to their parents. And their parents are going like crazy in the house that they have this kid who, you know, uses social media and can't educate themselves right on social media about the problems and then brings it to their family and their families have nothing to say. You know what I'm saying? I think that I think that 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 role in this whole movement is just as important, right? You making a clear stance and you talking to your families as a white person, right? And then um, right. even I was actually listening to another podcast and they had a listener letter where the woman was black and she wrote in about her white husband not defending her, basically not like overtly, outrightly, outrightly defending her during this time to his family. And I'm like, you need to leave that man. If that man is not going to stand up for you yeah. while you're on, while there's basically a race war outside. I keep referring to it as a race war because there's a lot of crazy shit going on, especially in the South um, with these protests. So if there's a full out, you know, race war happening and your white husband cannot tell his racist parents that say all lives matter, but that it's clear to and make sure it's clear to them that your life matters and your black life and everyone you know who's black life matters, then... That's between, you know, you and God. That's going to be a miserable marriage to keep going through. And I don't think anyone should force themselves to go through that. It's like constantly explaining, constantly explaining. But like, I, yeah. I want to also discuss what it's like, you know, living in America as black women, but Nigerian-American black women. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, we could start at the... The start of the century, but <laughs> the I would say century, yeah. it, it's 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 been a very interesting road because I would say that a lot of our a lot of our beliefs and a lot of our steps are already like created for us. You mm-hmm. know, our parents expect this and our parents expect that, and you know sometimes it can be difficult for us to really follow our own lead in our life if you know all the expectations of the things that our parents want us to do, what if we don't, what if we don't agree with those? You know, yeah. and I think for me, I'm someone who's very outspoken by nature. Yeah. Um, so my parents had a hard time me honing in on like, wow. Okay. So this is like one child that's going to do what she's passionate about, regardless of what we say or, you know, and my parents were never, my parents, um, you know, my dad. But yeah. Oh my God. I love your dad. Never, yeah, my parents are never. My parents were never very forceful with goals. Like they mm-hmm. were never. They never force fed us information. Like they never force fed us like 
um, their beliefs mm-hmm. um, in relation to like you know LGBTQ yeah. plus. Like there was never hatred spewed in our home about other people. Like that's just about other cultures, about other anything. Like that's yeah. just never been. That's just never been the vibe at my parents' house ever. Like you know they love all people and it doesn't matter. You know and that's you know, great. And, that is really you know, good. We'll, and rare as Nigerian parents. I mean, I I say that, but we could also get into like you know the different things related to Catholicism, which we know okay, is yeah. widely oppressive. Um, my parents are not ready for that conversation. <laughs> but like, so I say that, but then I also say like you know they do fall in line with some of the Catholicism ideals and beliefs. So even though like hatred wasn't outwardly spewed in our house, like and disagreements with within different cultures obviously were present in relation to lgbtq and things of that nature but they never spoke on those mm-hmm. you know they only spoke about their experiences and how it relates to them but they never spoke on other cultural groups they never spoke on other identify like um people that identified as transgender and things of that nature yeah. it just wasn't highlighted so i i won't say whether it's good or bad i will just say that hate was never was never a topic in our house okay yeah it wasn't like, even acknowledged as, like, a being a different thing. Right. Yeah. So, like, how has that affected um, your parents talking to you about Black Lives Matter? Well, it was interesting because I had a conversation with my mom yesterday. It was her birthday. Woo-woo. Oh, yay! So, birthday. birthday. Yeah. So, I had a conversation with her, and we were talking about um, some of our other family members who identify other than Black, you know, so some mm-hmm. are you know, from different parts of West Africa, some are from different countries in general, some are from Italy, blah, blah, blah. So, as I said before, you know, a lot of our um, family members and different people that are close to us that identify in different cultural groups have this, like, you know, feeling as, okay, well, they know that I don't align myself with, you know, any um, racist groups or things of that nature, but then I also have to say something to reassure you, just so you know, I, I don't agree with all of this that's happening, you know, mm-hmm. and I stand with the black lives, right? Yeah. So someone in our family reached out to us, you know, and told us, like, you know, just to let you guys know, you know, when our nephew and our grandson is born, like, there will be absolutely no, like, there will be no signs of anything that we you see going on in this country. Like, you know, we completely disown that part of our country we you know we don't stand with that we know you guys know but we wanted to let you know again and reassure you that none of this all that's going on we stand with black lives okay so me and my mom my mom and i were discussing that and my mom like had to catch herself because she was like um you know that was very kind that they did that um as she as we both know we don't identify with and I, and she, I stopped her. I was like, "What do you mean?" Yeah. Because as we know, our parents love, love, yeah. love to create that diasporia war between yeah. Black Americans and Nigerian Americans, Black Americans versus the world. We, we don't. I don't do that anymore. Yeah, I mean, we don't do that anymore because, at the, like I told my mom, at the end of the day, if you're in a car, I'm in a car, and a Black woman who doesn't know her ties to an African or Caribbean country they're still going to treat us all the same because we're all black. Yeah, our race? Upon representation, upon, period. At first glance, no one's going to see me and say, oh, she's Nigerian-American, I'm not going to target her. They're going to see that I'm a black woman. 
So, and right. one thing I also want to make very clear that I actually learned myself not too long ago, or not that I learned, but I acknowledged, our, a lot of our parents came here um, in, like, 1980s. Like, a lot of minorities, Caribbeans, Dominicans, a lot of people came here after the brunt of the fight to get the rights that we have now of black Americans. They, you know, we didn't get brought here on ships. We were not slaves. We did not have to, you know, fight for freedom with America and, you know, American with that black history in America. We didn't have to go through, you know, Jim Crow laws. We kind of, we we kind of, black people in America gave us almost a leg up. And I'm not, and I'm not even saying like that as like we stepped on their backs, but we literally were able to just walk in this country and be like, hey, we here now. Let's go to school. And people don't acknowledge that enough. As Thank you. We would not if we came here any earlier. We would definitely be like we would. They would have thrown us as men as slaves. We would have had to, you know, go through all of that. And so a lot of times, my uh, minorities or foreigners discount that whole thing happening, and they look at black people. And that this yes. is a part of the white supremacy like mindset, the colonized mindset. They look at black Americans as if you know they have accomplished nothing. Look at them in their hoods, in their ghettos, and all stuff. They haven't accomplished anything. Um, but they were set back years, centuries. They, they were sent back centuries. And we have our own, like, bloody revolutionary history with the Biafran War. And we and I can relate that history and fighting, you know, with that as bl- black Americans in this country, you know, fighting for their freedom. So if I know that we both have bloody histories and me coming, you know, as a baby in this country and me not even having to see or hear a lick of like, over racism, because I went to a school with majority black people, I, until, you know, I got a little bit older, you know, that wasn't the same, that, my mom wasn't talking to me about how to conduct myself in front of police, because the, the whole thing with, the expectation is that I wouldn't have an encounter with them, you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, my, my mom would right. talk about, like, um, experiencing racism from Filipinos at her job when she first came to America, but the whole, like, I mean, and white people, she, Filipinos exactly was, the, was what she would point out. But I, but I was able to easily acknowledge from learning African American history, and when I, and I was able to acknowledge that I understand they helped us. They helped us, and so now that we're in this country, I identify as black. I don't come off any other way. I need to be, you know, a part of this process just as much as anybody else, you know. And that, right. I, I think that's a that's a part of people coming together and and not having any division. There is no separating a black. Jamaican American from a Nigerian American from a Black American in a car when you're driving. There's no separating Absolutely. it. I don't know if right. you heard about it recently, but in New Jersey, there actually was a Black man who was Jamaican who was shot by an NJ State trooper, and that's just right there mm. is the example. You don't know, like, you, like and they don't know. And so that's what I want to make right. clear to all you know African African American Nigerian Americans who weren't born in this country who don't understand that. Exactly. And, you know, similar to what you just said about the, you know, Jamaican man who was shot by the New Jersey State Trooper, you know, well, well, wow, I just lost my train of thought. But exactly, there's no differentiating him, you know, and I, I want to touch back on your point about, like, you know, our parents who came here, you know, obviously, you know, looking to leave a specific lifestyle behind in order to mm-hmm. attain something new. But we also have to, we also have to remember, like, Okay, so 
some of a lot of people that have that were brought here, you know, their ancestors were brought here by slaves. Yeah, they have they have history and history of history of oppression. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, us us or our parents coming to America for college in the eighties, they're starting off with what clean credit score, right? Yeah, they're start they're starting off educated. Maybe maybe it's even funded because they got maybe um, an international scholarship. You know? Exactly. So, yeah. And so, like you said, they're already starting with a leg up, but it's also up to us and them mm-hmm. to not to not add to the oppression of Black Americans. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't you know, do anything and, productive to to continue to talk down on them. Exactly. Yeah. This doesn't do anything like anything productive, and I uh, and I fully acknowledge that Black Americans have paved a way for other minority groups to come in and kind of in excel. You know, they say Nigerian Americans are amongst the most educated in America, and I'm proud of that. But then I also have to acknowledge that if we came here any earlier than the 80s or the 70s, then we wouldn't be in that same position. Right. Um, and, and that's and that's just facts. With that, but even like with parents not being able to understand that, and I know I was, I was talking about how um, about mental health in the black community. I think it's always so hard to discuss with mm. black parents. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say black parents or foreign parents about anything yes. that's other than you know religion and education. You know, I, I feel like if you can talk to your parents all day about the Bible. You can talk to your parents all day about, you know, what you want to study in school. And then, you know, when you get to a certain age, you want to start talking about, you know, you getting married. But they sometimes they don't even acknowledge that your mental health or, you know, how you're getting on, the, how you're getting through the day to day. What emotions are you really going through on the day to day to get through? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It can almost become like, oh, okay, you're doing such a good job because you're going to church, you're going to school, you're going to work. But they, but they kind of sometimes miss over how it can take a negative effect on you emotionally or and on mentally, right. and you can be running on like fumes. And then you know there'll be one one day where you've just like had enough, and you might have like a huge outburst, or absolutely yeah, or you just like say fuck it, I'm not taking a test. Yeah, some, something just kind of just rolls back. Well, how do you feel about like talking to your parents about mental health? Um. Well, especially as like a you know a clinician, you yeah. know, for both of us, yeah. you know, it's very, it's it's almost non-existent, you yeah. know. And I also, for me, I have to accept the fact that you know when our parents look past our emotions, mm-hmm. like that's what they're used to because they don't address theirs either. Yeah. So you know, we we want our parents to you know pay attention to their kids enough to the point to know that something has changed. You know, it's a little different for me because I live about an hour and 10 minutes from my parents, so I don't live at home. Mm -hmm. So for them, it's even easier to really not address it because it's not outward. I don't live there, Mm -hmm. you know. Even if I were to, our parents are so used to the status quo. Not saying every parent, because I know a lot of Nigerian parents who are very in tune with their children. Yes, yes. You know, that are very present. They show up for their child no matter what. You know what I'm saying? show up even when even when they're uncomfortable they show up you know not when they want to show up you know graduation all this great stuff you know they show up they show up even when it's uncomfortable so for me it was very important i mean like i said as a clinician like i just started going to therapy i started seeing a therapist probably at the beginning of this pandemic so um and it's been really great she's a a black therapist lpc very Nice. nice i found her on um psychology today um, I so love psychology today. A database, yeah, me too. As you know, it's a basically a database. 
type in whatever symptoms or say you're you, you're um, having and they'll match you with clinicians in your area that serve that so right now i'm really working on just like um emotional regulation and just like my outbursts because i i get very fiery and feisty and you know i don't address my emotions as they should be prior to you know popping off if you will and so, i love i love that you went i'm sorry we about to you can continue no, it's okay right. no, it's so okay, good. did was there something that happened like was there like a major life event or what led you to seeking out a therapist well that's a good question so when i was in grad school in 28 2017 2018 um my um just a little background like so my parents are divorced so my mom was remarried um there was like a pretty huge rift between her and her partner at that time and i took it very 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 hard mm-hmm. um like i said i was in grad school you know so i you know, full disclosure, I was like, you know, very just sad and just almost like distraught, you know, I was in my fall semester of grad school, like, for those four or five months, like, everything was just like a blur, you know, mm-hmm. I would go to class, I, will, I you know, I was working part-time as a TSS, and I would go to class, like, I wake up at 5 a.m. and drive because my school was like an hour away, you know, sometimes I would just be driving, just burst out in tears. You know, that's uh, where yeah. I, that's where I started noticing a lot of my emotional dysregulation coming in. So then, you know, I would just like, you know, pop off on people, you know, every weekend, you know, me and my friends, I want to go out partying. You know, I don't want to think about anything I don't want to do. You know, I just want to. And mind you, I was in grad school getting all A's and B's. If you, if you ask me today what classes I took like my fall semester of grad school like I would have to really sit down and try to remember because like oh, wow. it's all a blur to me yeah and I'm like I don't it is so crazy because when we talk about like our you know Nigerian uproot uh Nigerian um um wow upbringing yeah upbringing uh, upbringing yeah. yeah you know it's very it's very one two three strategic one three one two three strategic so for me that was the only way that I really knew how to function in though in that time of turmoil I'll, you know what, what I got to do, I got to pass my classes, I got to get A's, I got to get B's, and I got to graduate, that's it, you know, and it didn't take me until I had my winter break to really, like, take a deep breath in and reprieve and look at, like, my semester and say, like, okay, girl, like, you got to do something different. Okay, So, yeah, so Christmas came around, things were a little bit better, but, like, I really didn't start addressing those things until now because, um, I started a new job in June 2018 that I'm currently at now. I met my boyfriend, and then that's when things started to really, you know, my emotional dysregulation was just very, very apparent on my end. And I, okay, you know, like this, you know, you were able to get around it while you were single, but now you're in a relationship. So, like, what are you going to do about it? Because this can't be it all the time. Yeah. You know, you flipping out about stuff, and then, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah, so that's what started that. I, yeah. so, so I feel like for a lot, everyone, it's different. Like their journey to finding or deciding that they want to go to therapy is different. But I think it always starts with like a level of self-awareness and wanting to seek out help. Yes. Like knowing that I could be living a better life, right? If I, you know, talk to somebody, right? And for everyone, it's on a different level. actually. But I do see a black woman therapist and I started yes. seeing her, um, when I turned 25 and, uh, and there's like so many different things that went into me actually going to see a therapist. But, um, the first one was through my job, uh, through our, our benefits, I do get a couple sessions, like a few sessions for free. 
So we get like okay. sent this newsletter every single month about okay, these are different employee benefits for the month, or they have they offer so much stuff through this program. Um, so I get a couple sessions for free, and I was talking to my boss one day, and she was telling me like this is like out of the blue. I wasn't like talking to her about being emotional, but she was like, you know what? A lot of the time, I didn't realize it until I saw myself. You can be a better therapist for others if you see a therapist yourself. You'll you'll realize what works for you in regards to, you know, sharing information and them taking in information. And you'll be able to um, better realize, you know, how you're going to do that for someone else. And then you'll be able to, you know, adjust as, you know, different people. Obviously, you, you see different people. But um, you can adjust better. So that was one thing. That kind of put it in my head. And two, I was going through a lot of job stress um, the end of the summer into the fall. And I think it's because I had been working there for a year at that time. And it was just like, I didn't want to continue working there. I was looking for a new job as well. Um, and the job just got really stressful. I told you, like I was telling you earlier, we took on a whole new county at my workload, like tripled. And it was a lot going on. So I had, I had stress with that. Um, so that was piled on. Another reason, I think actually maybe in 2019, my mom had surgery and one of my aunts was uh-huh. there with us while she was having surgery to kind of just like, you know, keep us company and not have our heads racing. So she was actually telling me about how her whole family goes to therapy and she's not my aunt, but she's another Nigerian woman, you know, so just as out of respect, wow. but she said her whole family goes to therapy and her husband, I think he's Trinidadian. Um, and so she had like these Trinidadian Nigerian kids and there's like two sons and a daughter and she was like, yeah, they all go like whenever we have a problem, you know, they need to work out like by themselves. They just go straight to her. I was like, wow, a Nigerian Trinidadian family, two minorities are saying that they're, they're normalizing it for their kids to go and see somebody whenever they have problems or issues that they need to work out. Like how healthy is that for yourself, right? As an adult and for your kids. Um, so that, that really made me kind of, that took a lot of the stigma away from it for me, from for like a Nigerian woman to kind of like validate up. My, my mom, I don't think she has a problem with therapy, but she like it's easier to talk to Nigerian parents about religion and education. You know what I'm saying? Um, so when my aunt when my mom, my aunt mentioned that, I was like, okay, well maybe I should look into this a little deeper. So you have that situation, you have the fact that my job can now I can receive some services for free, and then I have this job stress that I'm going in, and then I start having personal life stress. And I, over the years, I've gotten better at, at handling my personal life stress. And so I know probably back in 2017, I probably would have needed a therapist a lot more, but I, I just got better with it. But I told myself, okay, well, this is my last year of my mom's insurance. I'm at this job currently. I can get free um, from free sessions. I might as well utilize it for this last year of my mom's insurance from 25 to 26 and see what the experience is like. And then, you know, if I like it, I continue. If I don't, you know, I just, I just don't. So the first woman I saw actually was a white woman and it was a terrible experience. <laughs> it was terrible. She basically kept cutting me off and didn't let me get my full point out so that she wouldn't have to ask the stupid question she would ask me. So that was annoying within itself. Wow. Um, yeah, so I went to her one time and literally 10 minutes into that session, I realized that I was not going to come back and see her. I deleted her number after that. I was like, I'm going to go find somebody else. So then I found a black woman, and it's been great ever since. <laughs> it's been, gr- it's been wow. great ever, ever since. And that's been, I think I might have been now six months. I think I've been in therapy for like six months. 
nice. Yeah, but it's... To me, it's so important for me to have my own space where I'm going to tell someone um, about, I guess, the personal stressors in my life. The only thing that becomes overwhelming with it is when you feel like you have to catch them up on a lot of stuff. And you might not even want to relive that situation. That was the only stuff that I didn't really want to bring up. But it's important to have an isolated time where you're fully focusing on yourself and your personal and emotional growth. I think that's kind of what, to me, what therapy is for me. A lot of times I can get distracted by what's going on, you know, in other people's lives. Or I can get distracted by what's going on in, um, you know, in the world. And I don't, I don't focus on myself enough, but... Being able to sit down with someone for that certain amount of time, um, I don't know, kind of helps me prioritize myself. That's deep. That's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like everyone's personal therapy story is different. And um, if you're, like, listening to this episode now you are, and you've been considering it, I hope that, you know, either one of our stories inspires you to start looking. Now, I found my therapist through my mom's insurance. And so I looked through my mom's insurance and... Um, because I'm still under it. I'm like, okay, where can I go and where I'm covered? That's how I found somebody. I know you said you find yours on Psychology Today, but there are so many resources. I also listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, and they have um, a therapist directory if you're looking for specifically a black therapist. Um, and you could go and speak to someone. I, I um, rather speak to somebody black. How about you? Okay, now. Oh, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. Um, 100%. Even when I was um, on psychology, because I did use a therapy for black girls, or mm-hmm. I think it was, there was a, there's an app called, like, Black Therapist or something, okay. but there weren't any in my area, go figure. Oh, wow. So, I went on psychology today, and it was, like, a long shot, so it was, like, a testimony, really. So, it was probably in February when I decided that I wanted to go to therapy, and I was on psychology today looking for therapists in the area that took my insurance, which is basic Aetna, you know, but Mm so on psychology today, you can actually narrow down with the providers that take your insurance so you can go from that pool. And she was like the only, she was like the second black therapist. I saw the other lady seemed a little bit older, a little bit more age, like maybe like early, early sixties ish. And I was like, "Mm -mm, I want somebody who's like maybe around like mid to late forties, you know, someone that can relate to what I'm going through and understand me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, not maybe not have a data, a data philosophy about what life should look like at a, for a 24-year-old. So I saw her. I gave her a call and left her a voicemail. Um, she didn't get back to me for some weeks. I think it's because she had, like, a partner, a partner, like, who was also, like, an LSW, LCSW. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think they had left the practice, so there was a lot going on. And she was, like, there was so much going on. Or she, like, lost her secretary and stuff like that. Because to me, I was feeling so down because, like, I called this person on, like, February 3rd. You know, it's now March, you know, when the pandemic started, all this is going on. I haven't heard from <laughs> I just, I just let it go. And I was, like, you know what? Maybe therapy isn't for me. Like, you know, I wanted to see this person. She didn't respond. Like, whatever. Mm-hmm. So then one day I get a call probably at the beginning of March. It's just like, hi, it's Dr. You know, I was just calling because I saw you left me a voicemail. I'm sorry that's taking me so long to get back to you. And like probably that same day, like I had gotten a super heated argument, which I always escalate myself in arguments and then I get upset. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had like a super heated argument either that day or the day before. And I was just like completely turned up and so upset. And she had called me. And I was like, wow, like this is perfect because I have so much that I have to tell her. Like, yeah. You know, so like. We probably only had about like four or five sessions, but she knows so much about me because I'm like so thorough. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's um, what I like is that you can be that specific. You can say right. 
what how what age you want your therapist to be you don't have to be sitting in a room with a random old white man or old white woman you can you can say exactly and find someone who fits your needs and who you feel like you can relate to because it'd be weird if you're speaking to someone you feel like you can't relate to and i think that also is a reason why you know black people don't utilize therapy as much as they you know they should because there is sometimes a lack of diversity in who you can choose from and it wasn't until like the last like maybe three years or so where black health black mental health um has become has risen up to like the forefront it's always been there people have always been passionate about it but it's kind of driven up to the forefront like take care of your mental health guys especially with new things in social media with um you know, even adverse childhood experiences that black people go through and they, they don't think it's an adverse experience because that's just the experience of being black in America. And they grow up and may have, you know, emotional dysregulation and not able to properly deal with issues or circumstances due to like maybe anxiety or depression. And they don't even know that they have it or they don't even acknowledge it. So they don't get the proper treatment and they can't like right. live their life to... You know, they don't live their life to really full capacity because they're they're working with a brain that, you know, isn't up there 100%. Like, I think of mental health being as important as, you know, me going out to the gym and working out and prioritizing, you know, that type of health for myself. Um, not just, you know, just worrying about how I look and not worrying about how I'm feeling and how I'm able to communicate with others. But I think that black people don't you lost there because of the, that lack of representation or that stigma of you know you just sitting in a room on a couch and there's this white man or woman like taking notes about what you're saying you know right yeah and the therapist i see yeah. actually is in the whole office they're all black therapists there um oh. in the in the place and it's like a it's, a, it's like a small little place but it's like maybe like five five or six different black therapists and people of all colors come into that office, white, um, black, Spanish. So representation does matter. Wow. That yeah. is very empowering. Yeah. Representation definitely does matter um, when it comes to, you know, the field that we work in. But when we, the field that we work in, um, just being like social work, human services, therapy. Did you join that field because you saw a lack of diversity or... What was your thinking when you decided to go for your MSW? Well, for me, I just, I love social work because it's so broad. Mm -hmm. um, someone like me, I don't really fit in the cusp of a one, like, one realm of social work. So mm -hmm. for me, my main goal is to, you know, get a plethora of experience, maybe like 15, 12 years of experience, you know, and then... Um, go back to school and get a doctorate and I ultimately I want to teach you know I want to be an educator ah, yeah nice. um so for me it's so it's social work it makes it so easy to get a boatload of experiences <laughs> in different realms like right now I work I've been working like the behavioral side of things for about about three years now so I'm probably gonna like cap it at five and then mm -hmm. after five um, I'm looking towards like testing for my LSW in the next few months or so. Yeah. And after that, you know, I want to work in outpatient therapy, maybe cap that at five years, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then maybe do another five in like the prison systems or something like that, or working like directly close to healthcare administration, you know, I'm also thinking about like an MBA and healthcare administration. So there's just different, different things that I want to learn throughout different realms of social work. So I, I love social work because it's so diverse. And you can learn so much about, like, human diversity 
um, no matter what job you're at. So I, I really enjoy it. And it, and it challenges me, it challenges me to think in a different way that I wasn't challenged growing up. Yeah, it definitely, it challenges you to be way more considerate and understanding of people. I know the way this is, um, way my work has like transformed me is that I think about all aspects of someone's life. I completely understand the intersectionality, you know, between my personal life, you know, my clients' lives, and then other people's lives. So I can understand, I learned to not, um, hold grudges for people because I, I don't know what what's going on at home. I always think about, I don't know what's going on at home. Or I don't know what's going on in your other side of your life that might be, um, causing you to act the way that you're acting. So I don't like to take things personal anymore as of late but I'm just like hey I feel like if someone can go in you know get that help and they see like oh there's a black person in this space it kind of makes them more comfortable have you realized that mm-hmm. at all yeah yeah I've experienced that directly actually in relation to just like even with my therapist also being a black woman which I'm very grateful for mm-hmm. and then also working in an agency that employs you know people that from, from that are from all over the world you know I'm like one of the the few West Africans there, but you know, there's a lot of East Africans, a lot of people from Kenya, mm-hmm. Ethiopia, you know, a lot of people that are from Puerto Rico, from the D- Dominican Republic, different places. So like, that's what I was really looking for because my experience prior to it was a little bit more sterile, you know, it can't, they are, were a part of a hospital system. So, you know, very, um, Anglo-Saxon white Protestant, you know, very white, um, very Christian, very, um cookie cutter you know yeah. it was fine and it was a great experience i learned a lot from like great professionals psychiatrists psychologists but it just wasn't somewhere that i saw myself being for a while because of the lack of diversity in particular okay so even you as a professional you're looking to work somewhere you don't want to just provide the diversity you want to be around the diversity Exactly. Yeah. I think sometimes a lot of places hire, you know, one black person think that that's that everyone who's a minority and everyone who's black, all those clients are supposed to go to that one black person when that, that shouldn't really be the case. Um, when you speak to someone, when you speak, you obviously want them to share some sort of like views. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if you want, to sh- want them to share views, but you want them to share some sort of experience so that their advice is not coming like from far left field. Like, oh, this sounds good. Right, I feel like a white person giving right. black person a, a black person advice is like, oh, this sounds good, but you know, all they're gonna do is give you that cookie cutter advice or that cookie cutter feedback that might might not really um, even work in your life, in your day to day life, and who you interact with. And so that that's why it was important for me to yes. see that to see diversity. I know a lot of times, obviously, there's white people are the majority in many fields, and you know this. You know, social services field is not any different. And have you noticed that, you know, sometimes the way we might come across have like a, a white savior-like complex? So do are you saying that like they perceive themselves in that complex or they perceive others in that complex? They see, like, they perceive themselves. So they see like, they see themselves as being like this almighty healer of the person who does the they're 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 like the best person all around because they are this white person and they're helping minority people (laughs) that's how it was at my last job because it can't they were part of a hospital system so well span is like um, a hospital system similar to like pen medicine or whatever i Mm -hmm. guess but a little smaller so they have like different outpatient facilities throughout lancaster and different surrounding counties and like that particular agency was very 
Christian based. They didn't hide it, which was obviously fine because I am a believer. Mm-hmm. But for them, they were very, very exactly what you said in that savior complex. Like, you know, the work that we do here, people are so grateful. You know, we, we'd have like those like um, monthly staff meetings. And, you know, the director who was a psychiatrist, very nice guy, Cuban mm-hmm. man, but like, you know, obviously white, white masculine presenting Yeah. Um, would just say, you know, people are so grateful for the work that we do here. You know, you guys are so wonderful, blah, blah, blah. This CAD, the Center for Autism and Developmental Disabilities, mm-hmm. we were just this and we're that. And for me, I would just look around like, okay, it's wonderful that we're doing wonderful work. And we all know that we're doing wonderful work, but it's like, so what does that make us? It <laughs> makes us just like any other agency that provides clinicians competent that's it yeah <laughs> like, exactly that's it. that makes us com- we're just doing our jobs and that's literally what we signed up for you know right. you, you know what i'm saying so so yeah i think i think that um it's it's almost like i would want to work in the in a diverse place like i where i work is not diverse at all right now i'm the only black person so mm-hmm. or as i'm only black person at the senior level so it makes it awkward for me. but that's why mm-hmm. i have to have such a clear stance on things when it comes to like a matter of this in that place as the only black person you know and and i sometimes also just talk about how like black people utilizing mental health services with this like now mental health being like at the forefront i know charlamagne the god he has a um a book out i actually read called shook one where he talks about you know his childhood experiences that caused him to have anxiety as an adult i think that Mm. sometimes those experiences and i love that he wrote that book and someone like charlamagne the god wrote that book because a lot of times people don't acknowledge that the childhood experiences that they go through are not normal and they have played a role in their ability to or the ability not to you know communicate with people or interact with people in a healthy way or even interact with themselves in in a healthy way like be be good to themselves in a healthy way like um i don't know if you watched this movie called mississippi damned did you watch it no. No. That movie is um, based, it's, it's basically based around the circle of poverty and the kind of shows the way the circle of poverty works. And despite, you know, anyone who tries to get out of it, you know, Mississippi obviously being a red state, huge, very, very racist state, and they have like these small, you know, poor black communities. It's, they showed how this one woman's journey into trying to getting out of that community and how she like was sucked back into the circle of poverty. And I love that movie because it kind of, because it really shows and illustrates what it looks like to be in the circle of poverty. And I don't think black people um, acknowledge that sometimes that the situations and circumstances they found themselves in as a child were almost like the circle of poverty like type of situations you know whether it's like having like divorced parents my, my parents are divorced as well but um you know in this obviously every household is better with two incomes type of thing so it's like those those experiences do need to be you know processed like whether like having divorced parents was one of the parents abusive um were you I'm trying to think, were there a lot of cops in the school that you went to when you were younger, right? Well, when was your first interaction uh-huh. with a police officer? I don't think that black people acknowledge those things as being adverse childhood experiences because we're told so much that we need to be strong. And like, oh, we're strong, we're, we're, we're this, we're that, we can get through anything, we're resilient. And those are all good attributes and you know, characteristics to have. I would love, I love being, you know, resilient, but no one should have to be resilient every single day. You know, you shouldn't have to be going out and fighting a battle, a mental battle with other people every single day 
um, because you you just want you just want to look strong. Because at the end of the day, you're only hurting yourself. You know that at the end of the day, when you go home, you put you spend all this time putting on a big happy smile for everyone, but then you're sitting back down and you're exhausted because you know you have maybe emotional things going on that you didn't let be known to other people. Right, and one thing that I I want to touch on what you said um, just about how. You know, we're taught to be, you know, you have to be strong, you have to be resilient, you have to be this. And it's interesting because resilience is, you know, a quality or sometimes a skill that people learn through experiences that they want to experience. You know, when you have to force someone to be resilient, that becomes traumatic. Love that. (laughs) That is, when you force someone to be resilient, that is traumatic. So if someone grows up, what other movie? I love these, um, this movie, uh, Moonlight. You watch Moonlight? I'm always oh, watching a movie. I, I, I'm, I'm like, I live under a rock. All I do is listen to music and podcasts. <laughs> uh, no, I, I love I love a good movie, but um, Moonlight. I know the main characters. The main character's mother was a crackhead, um, and the, and the drug addict, and she and he, he she would always steal money from him, and he would always still have to go to school and present in in his best way. Like he didn't always have clothes to change, you know, to change out of or to you know have multiple outfits in the day, and he would get bullied for that. And so, look at even, those are three experiences within itself that would make someone not even operate at their highest level, right? Your mom's right. is a drug addict. She steals money from you. You don't have clothes to change, you know, to have multiple outfits, and you're being bullied. That's for who's supposed to be able to focus on, sit down and focus on their schoolwork at a time like that? At, in, right. in, in, a, in a situation like that, you're probably going to a school that doesn't even have as many resources to provide you with to even be distracted from everything that's going on. Um, in your personal life. And that that's a story that's that's a lot for a lot of, you know, black people. But I don't wanna only see I don't wanna only mention that there's stress that can come from poverty, but there's stress that comes from expectations as well. I know like um we talk about Nigerian parents, I know you say your Nigerian parents like you know they don't stress those things, but there are, you know, Nigerian parents who are telling you that you're not going to major in anything else besides in biology when you go to college. And, you know, you as a, as a, as a student are going into college, I'm about to major in something that I don't give a fuck about, I don't care about, I'm not even that good at it, and all I want to do yeah. is major in, you know, all I want to do is, is focus on something else. That's a, that's a stressor in itself. Because then your parents are only telling you that because they want to assure that you're going to have a... You know, set life when you graduate. They want to screw you'll be able to make money. Um, and then, you know, Nigerian parents love to brag, so that's a whole other part of it, too. But Absolutely. Yeah, then you get that whole stress on yourself about how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to make my family proud? How am I supposed to actually do what I want to do um, in life? And then, you know, you, you walk around with that fake facade for helping, you know, for being a good child and helping your parents out, but then you miss out on exploring the things that are actually for you. Absolutely. You know? um, it's funny you said that because I actually... Um, even during undergrad, probably like my last two years, um, th- these are times that I probably should have um, enrolled in therapy or had therapy, which I didn't. So yeah. now that I look back on these situations, like I really wasn't a pleasant person to be around. You know, I had friends, you know, I had people that were in my life, but I was just very unpredictable in different ways in relation to my emotions. And my friend, um, that we weren't friends for a few years because of my behavior in undergraduate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she explained to me, like, you know, it was really difficult being your friend because you were so unpredictable. Um, and that you only focused on school and work. You work so much and you work so hard in school just to get A's, but she never understood why I could never just 
stop and enjoy what was in front of me. Always are thinking, I did this, now I have to do that. I did this, yeah. I have to get into grad school. And, you know, yes, she was Nigerian. She was uh, African-American, Black-American. Yeah. But, you know, something that she did say resonated with me. She was like, you know, you spend so much time judging yourself and judging other people that it took away from your experiences and your fun that you could have had. And, you know, when she told me that, I was like, she's like, because you're always so worried about what your parents will think. But, you know, you being at school, you were doing it all. You know, you were going to get it done. And even if you did it, it is what it is, you know. So now you can't go back on, you know, those different behaviors that you had towards other people. All you can do is really apologize. But it's like, what what did I get out of those year? What did I get out of that year? Because the next year would have been just as difficult, if not more difficult. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're so worried about working so hard to keep up with the image that our parents have laid out for us or that they've laid out for us in our life where then eventually we're going to start missing out on things that we didn't want to see because we're too busy trying to keep up with the vanity of what our parents have laid out for us. Yeah, and it's like, and also it's not even only keeping that mask on. It's so unhealthy, but the way you even, like your friend mentioned, like you were so unpredictable. The pressure of having to, you know, go to school, make A's, right, that summa cum laude, the 4.0, and try to have a social life and and making your parents proud and working, that is so stressful and can cause anxiety. And, you know, and having, you can have these outbursts that, you can have these outbursts that come off as unpredictable, that come off as, like, stitch or, or, or bitchy. And you personally, right, like, you in the moment couldn't acknowledge it right but you right. know after years years after or even being able to reflect with that friend it there becomes like a switch of self-awareness and as as right. we get older we all we always want to you know become our best selves right we realize that okay well now i'm older i'm out of college i did everything my parents said i was supposed to do but there's still something that i need, I need to work on there's still something that i feel like i'm missing and it could be because that pressure of your parents overshadowed you actually doing the things that you may have wanted to do, right? And so you you miss out on, on those parts, like, like your friend was saying. Exactly. Yeah, I, and I think that the the example from, like, the circle of poverty example and the example of, like, just having a lot of pressure, they both um, could breed depression. They both could breed anxiety. They both can breed, you know, just isolating and kind of, like, you know, bad mental health practices that can help, that can more deteriorate your mental health. You know, I know, like, um, one thing I did a lot was I isolate a lot. Like, those college years were very stressful for me, too. Um, you know, because of the grades, and then also I was a student athlete, so I was always just going through something. And then, you know, personal life drama happens and it always becomes a part. And I couldn't stand interacting with people who not were not dealing with the same things as me, but interact with people who thought things that things that weren't important were important right like i'm like i'm i'm thinking in my in my head like i got real life shit going on and these people all they, they want to do this i cannot hang with them right or mm-hmm. i had to start making i mean and some of the cut the some of the people who i cut off is like it wasn't a bad idea to me it was a good idea you know we've been able to thrive separately as people but some of the people who i you know kind of i kind of i kind of miss because i was in the i was in a form or dealing with a form of anxiety mm-hmm. and i wasn't acknowledging it which caused me to not want to interact with certain people, which is, like, self-isolating. So it's, like, it's not just me making the conscious choice not to interact with them. It's me making the conscious choice to isolate myself. That's kind of what it... When I look at when I look at it now, that's more of what it was. But then those things come out um, 
because of all the pressure or depression or anxiety. And I want to say, too, that you don't have to be diagnosed. And I love the way of your example of how you got into therapy. You don't have to be diagnosed to go to therapy. You don't have to go to therapy seeking a diagnosis. Kind of saying she literally is she literally went to therapy to um, help with her emotional regulations, right, and how she communicates with people. And if you're able to be self-aware and say that you might need help with that too, you can go see a therapist for that. I don't want any people thinking or listening to this thinking that they need to come off with a diagnosis or to be um, have PTSD or anxiety or social anxiety and things like that. But if you do, if you feel you do, you have those some of those symptoms, you should see a therapist as well. Um, but there's no, like, one reason why you should go see someone, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. There can be, there can be like, a slew of reasons, or the people around you might not understand. Um, it might be, like, <laughs> especially, I think it's, like, the field I work in, it's so normal to talk about therapy that when I started to talk about more, people are like, oh, okay. And then now it was a conversation because black mental health is a thing now. Uh, and people, mm-hmm. like like um, Therapy for Black Girls, Charlemagne talks about it, and everyone's talking about it now with the images that we're seeing on social media of black people being killed and just, just being treated carelessly. Um, it, that is traumatizing. That is, that's in itself is an average childhood experience. You know, being think about all our young people who are home, Gen Z who's just seeing all this information, right? And if you're not sitting with them and talking to them about what this means... This can lead to, you know, low self-esteem in young black men and women, you know, not knowing, you know, what their fate is when they get older. That can lead to some sort of depression. You want to acknowledge that in kids, right? Right. Yeah. And even even to touch back on your point with therapy, like, you know, you don't even have to, you don't even have, things don't even have to be going badly in your life to want to go to therapy. You know, yeah. you can go to therapy to discuss, these are some things that are going great. Like, so what do you think I can do to make things greater? Like, you know, I've been feeling you know, great about this, but not so great about that. Like, you don't even need to be, your life doesn't even need to be in shambles or turmoil. You don't have to, you don't, I think what it is that people that feel good in their life feel that they don't need therapy, but therapy is really just, it's a reflective tool. Mm -hmm. It's a reflective tool and it's a resource. So you don't need to feel like, because my life isn't in shambles, I don't need to go to therapy. Even when, even when things start to go even greater and better than they've ever been, I will still be seeing a therapist. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> I, I will still be seeing a therapist. Like I was saying, um, the one that the one aunt I have, she said that she was saying that same thing. She's saying that, that exact sentiment. She's like, I don't have to be crying or anything. I don't have to be sad about anything. She just says everybody in her family is like almost like a mandated. They have they all have the same therapist, I think too. And obviously, the therapist mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't share things with them, but they all see the same therapist, and they've been going for a while. So I'm not sure your life is not always in a downturn, right? If you are going right. therapy in, in a downturn, um, the hope is that you're getting better with therapy. And so you're going to start having positive moments that you are going to want to share and that your therapist can even acknowledge. Because sometimes you're sitting talking to someone about, you know, a couple of things that, that well, this is my experience. A couple of months goes by, then I start to have a lot more positive experience experiences and I'm sharing them with her. And then she can acknowledge that for me. Like, hey, wait, I want you to remember that, you know, three months ago, you were not doing that. You you were not able to um, interact in this way. You were not able to be confident enough in this way. You've come a long way. And sometimes, you know, that acknowledgement can help, right? Exactly. Yeah, especially when you are, like, living... I'm not sure how fast-paced everyone's life is, but I am used to living a very fast pace. Like, things are always getting done, or they're just not getting done at all. But that kind of um, makes me 
jump over the accomplishments that I make. But anybody else would be like, oh, wow, good job. And then I'm just here just jumping over it like, oh, this doesn't matter. Like, I, I gotta go to the next accomplishment. And that's, you know, that comes with the pressure of Nigerian parents. Always looking for something to accomplish. Absolutely. But, yeah. I think it's important for people to acknowledge that, you know, there are also a plethora of emotions in this world. You don't have to always say. I know people try to use, um, people try to overdiagnose themselves and say they have anxiety. Or they say yes. that they, um have depression or bipolar disorder when no you could just be going through you know a regular emotion for whatever situation or circumstance just happened and um that's okay too i think it's important to acknowledge i think there's a power in acknowledging that you can go through different emotions because it makes more sense in how you handle different situations right i feel like right. people try to say you know they have an anxious moment and try to say they have anxiety and then it becomes like this whole big thing about anxiety now in your life where it's like, no, Absolutely. people feel anxious. No, you can, it's 100% normal to feel anxious about something, especially if it's like, you know, maybe a big test or a presentation going on. But, um, but you, but you're agreeing. What's your opinion on that? What's interesting to me is that, you know, with our generation in particular, um, as we know, like with generation before us, like it was almost a taboo mm-hmm. to discuss anything that has to do with mental health. So now I would say that like, like us as millennials, like almost took to the other side of the extreme. And now <laughs> everybody's telling, oh, I'm depressed or I have anxiety or mm-hmm. I have this. And but what people don't understand is that people who suffer from anxiety it is almost debilitating to function day to day. Yeah. So yeah. If, if it's uh, if it's untreated, whether it's with medication or therapy, people who actually have anxiety have difficulty functioning in every aspect of their life. Yeah. So someone who has anxiety who has to be at work at nine o'clock will not get to work until ten thirty because they're just so anxious or engaged in other things. Yeah. They're putting it off. Yeah. Someone who has an anxious anxious moment before meeting a new date at TJI Fridays is not the same. <laughs> yeah. No, 100%. Even... I don't know. Keep going. Go ahead. No, go on. Keep on. And I just I just think that people, people use these terms so loosely, but then at the same time discriminate against those who actually suffer from these illnesses because it presents differently oh well she's she must she must have a mental health disorder because she's x y or z no actually she has anxiety what you say that you have but you clearly don't have right wow yeah no that's a great point no i think that's a great point i didn't um people do discriminate from people who you know who actually have it and present in a different way right exactly. um well, let, me, let me read the definition I have here for anxiety. So, a feeling of worry, nervousness, unease, typically about an intimate event or something with an uncertain outcome. So, I know I had this huge meeting at work and I had to prepare for it. I was like maybe two, three weeks I had to prepare for this meeting to happen. In those three weeks, I was, my anxiety was up. Like, I was anxious every single day of those three weeks. And so, I also want to make a point that you can be having that feeling for an extended amount of time um you want to monitor that right you want to monitor um what you're neglecting during that period if you're having like a period of anxiety but it's also good to um, to acknowledge in your mind okay this is a period of anxiety right this when this event ends when this meeting ends this is going to be over 
And I think it's harder for people Absolutely. who have, I think it's hard for people who have anxiety, um, who have been diagnosed with it and maybe are taking medication with for it um, to function without the medication because they live in that, you know, that period of anxiety for, you know, months at a time, not three weeks. Um, they, that they literally need that medication. And um, that might look like someone who pulls their hair out of their face. You know, that, that can be caused by anxiety. Um, and it presents very differently than your might maybe your test anxiety, your work anxiety and stuff. Um, but I like how they do break into anxiety down to different disorders. So they have generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety, specific phobias, panic disorder, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and then post-traumatic stress disorder, disorder PTSD, which we most we mostly hear about PTSD um, with military um, and armed forces um, because of what they see. But I think it's also important to acknowledge this for, you know, our black people who live, you know, in poverty, who see a lot of crazy shit on the day-to-day basis, like when they wake up, between waking up and going to school. You know, they might see a fight happen or, you know, a drug deal happen or even in their their house. Did they eat that morning? Like that, those are things that cause, you know, PTSD, you know, in an adult that happened your childhood. But you don't really acknowledge it because, you know, you're being strong and you're being resilient. Um, but no, I, I think there's a power, there, there's, there's a power in understanding what these things actually mean um, so that you're not over-diagnosing and then you can have a, even a clearer idea in your head about why you would want to pursue therapy right you don't want to go into pursuing therapy with okay i'm going to go in here i'm going to get diagnosed i'm going to leave or i'm going to go in here i'm I'm going to talk and eventually i'm going to get a diagnosis about something there's something wrong with me no you're like you're going to kind of acknowledge that the things are that there are different things happening in your life but i would love if people can start acknowledging you know that they're fearful of something or they're scared of something then it just being like oh i'm having anxiety you know, because right. I feel like it just makes it easier to, I feel like it makes you more empowered to mention your emotions or to, or to speak on your emotions because you're, you're talking from your heart and what, and what you believe and what you're actually feeling. And then when you know what you're actually feeling, you can deal with it the right way instead of just being like, oh, I'm having anxiety or I'm anxious about something or saying, or oh, I'm depressed when you're really, really just sad about, you know, something that may have happened. Um, but right. It's super important that, you know, everyone who's trying to get in more information about mental health is going to the right resources, um, talking to the right people. And I know she kind of mentioned psychology today. I always mention therapy for black girls. Um, but there are different ways to go and find a therapist. You can look at your, you know, your insurance, your family insurance, the service providers when you're seeking out therapy. Um, and just remember for everyone, you know, listening Therapy, like I kind of said, is not only for it to be diagnosed, but also what's going on in the world right now between the pandemic and the protest. It's a lot to take in. I know my head hurts and sometimes it kind of like, I don't know if you feel it, but I feel like I'm getting sucked into my phone sometimes. My phone will be so close to my face. Um, It's not normal. And it seems like every single day there's something else to be mad about. And rightfully so, we should be mad. But do not feel guilty if you, you know, if you're just not there right now. If you're if you're just not there mentally right now, do not feel guilty about it. Just acknowledge it and then, you know, you know, move on day to day the best way that you can. And if you still have to go to work through all of this, you know, choose what you want to do. I kind of chose not to acknowledge it in her workplace due to <laughs> where she lives. And I chose that I, I chose to do it because I was the only black woman there and I feel like 
it was my responsibility for the youth that I service to bring it up. But everyone's gonna is gonna be able to choose what they do in their own way. But like, let me know what you choose to do. I know my sister, she brought it up at work because they had opened up the floor for people to talk and discuss it. And I know some workplaces are doing that. Um, if you're a boss, if you're someone's manager, please go about this the right way. I don't know how your manager went about um, talking about Black Lives Matter and everything. Um, yeah, please go about it the right way because black people's mental health is not good right now. And I caught myself the other day having a short fuse. And I was, I left my house, I was like, I don't know what's about to happen with me leaving this house right now, but if anyone gets on my nerves, it's going to be a wrap. You don't want to do that on the wrong day to a black employee. So just... No, you don't. Yeah, so do you have anything to add um, in regards to black mental health, black um, women in I mental just, health? I wanted to touch on, so I'm uh-huh. very grateful because my supervisor, um, she's, about, she's about 40, um, she's, you know, a white woman. Um, but she's from the D.C. metro area. You know, mm-hmm. she is somebody who grew up there, um, went to college in North Pennsylvania. And she's someone who's very, very well versed in, you know, black civil rights, everything, you know. So okay. even though we can we come from completely different backgrounds, like she is somebody that I know will always advocate for me and always advocate for our rights. You know, it's nice. so interesting because you really don't meet people like that every day, you know, like mm-hmm. so we really connect on different levels, which is why I told you, you know, I am so passionate about the work I do, but because I see and I know that there are people that don't look like you or I or don't come from the same background as you or I, but will always stand up mm-hmm. and will always speak out. So yeah. that's that's very uh, reassuring to see. That's what I was looking for too when I when I was like speaking out about it. I know that I know the people I work with. I know I read the room when I spoke out. So um that's not that's not the people I work with. But that's, that is great, though, to have just, I mean, I feel like when white people or white women are well-versed in racism and can acknowledge their privilege, I feel like it just takes an extra effort because it's super lazy just to just live your life and just live on your privilege. Um, it takes an extra Absolutely. effort to know, you know, hey, if I have some privilege, it's because of these reasons. Um, so, I, shout out to you and your supervisor. I, I think it's pretty good for your mental health to know that someone can advocate for you. You don't have to really worry about mm-hmm. it. So, Akuna, as a mental health professional, um, we see these words self-care. We see self-care everywhere. But what does that mean to you and what do you um, do for self-care? go and do yoga, but then I always fall off. One thing that's always consistent, like, one self-care thing that I do is, like, I talk on the phone. Like, it sounds crazy, and for some people that are in, more introverted, it can be really draining, but, like, I love to, like, be on the phone with a friend or a coworker at the end of the day and just, like, reflect on my day. I don't know why, but it's one thing that I can always do to, like, start my evening. Like, okay, let me call somebody and see how their day was and blah, 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 type of thing. about what they're talking about while I reflect on like okay what's next week gonna look like for work or 
plan about like another vacation. Obviously, I can't do that right now. <laughs> but preferably, I would be planning for what vacation I'm taking in six months or something like that. No, I think that's great. Talking on the phone is something I haven't heard in regards to self-care because that kind of involves someone else for you. So it's you calling up someone who obviously enjoys being on the phone too and talking right. about your day. And that's it's great because that you both can be working on self-care in that moment, like winding yes. down. Do you think yes. that that's a self-care thing for the people you talk to on the phone? Yeah, that's good. I love people like that.
note something like a major event but then I'll talk about how it made me feel and then how I want to move forward from it instead of just talking about the major event but everyone can do whatever they want that's just how I do my journaling to save me time uh-huh. um, okay yeah but I think that's pretty much what I would say what my self-care things are besides like the obvious you know face mask or you know you said you said shower showers are definitely self-care for me too really really super hot ones Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are just the things I do in every day. But um, I don't know. Have you noticed also a lot of people bu- purchasing plants? Do you have yes. plants? Yes. <laughs> my sister, my, actually my sister has a whole cluster of plants. Nice. And my brother likes plants as well. I'm, I personally cannot keep a plant alive even if... <laughs> Even if, like, there was money on it, like, I just can't. Like, I'm just not attentive enough. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime I get flowers, they just die right away. Like, I just am not attentive enough in that sense. But, like, my sister loves plants. She said they're very therapeutic. And they also add, like, really clear air and oxygen to any room that they're in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes sense, right? Because yeah. They're of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it makes sense. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, because they, they clear the air, but the reason I bring that up is because I feel like, me too with the plant thing, I don't think I can keep a plant alive, I have to really, really try to, but I think that's the perfect way to implement self-care in like your every single day, right, and not make like this huge deal about having to do it, because yes, when you get yeah. the plants, you pot them, you have to do all that um, maintenance to them, but when you have, when you're at the point where you have a plant, you just kind of maintain it. Every single day, you have to go either look at your plants or to keep up with it, to clip them the way you need to, to water them. And that moment when you take yourself away from, like, whether it's social media, when you take away yourself from your work, and you go and attend to these plants, that's a great way to have it in every day. So that's why, yeah, that's something that I've seen. I'm like, oh, this sounds like a good idea, but I feel like I, I can't personally implement it yet. But... You want to have some time for it. And then, like, reading. People read for self-care, read for knowledge. Um, I wouldn't um, read for self-care. I read because I, I read for gaining the knowledge of everything that's in the book. And it's not self-care to me. <laughs> so I wouldn't choose personally to read. But do you have any other tips or anything you've seen that's not your self-care that you want to share? Um, one thing I forgot. You reminded me when you were talking about journaling. One thing that I do use is an app called Stoic. Okay. Um, it's a journaling app. It's a daily app that just asks you like how you're feeling, how you rested, like what your goals are for the day, and they give you different like um, uh, pre-made like different quotes about like what your day, like your day's mantra today. They have journaling, breathing exercises, and meditation. Um, so the app itself is like a white and black square, and it has an S in it with uh, with a period at the end of it, like stoic. So mm-hmm. it's really really nice. One of my um. One of the people I follow on Instagram who's also um, a therapist recommended it, and I've been using it since. It's been very helpful. Nice. Um, one thing I noticed about myself is when I'm in, like, times of transition or times that, like, I'm stressed out, I journal more. Mm-hmm. But when I'm not as stressed or when I'm feeling, like, okay, I journal less. Um, which is okay because, you know, journaling is self-guided, so you don't have to do it all the time. You don't have to do it a specific amount of days. Like, when you feel it's the correct time to reflect when you do it, which is what I enjoy about it. I love that. That is such a good point about the journaling being self-guided. Like, there's no structure for it. 
I do like guided journals. I'm not sure if you've um, used a guided journal before, but I like guided journals from when I'm feeling in the mood to do a prompt. And so I have it as an option. And then I have, you know, my personal journal. So, yeah. But send me the, send me the app. I'm going to put it in the description box of this episode. And, you know, maybe someone else can find it useful and use it. Yeah, I'm going to check it out as well. Okay, so all this talk about mental health, all this talk about, you know, us as Nigerian women living in America and the stressors that come with it. Do you have any advice for someone looking to bring this up to their parents, whether they have foreign parents, whether they have American parents? You know, parents in the black community often look down on mental health. So do you have any advice for anyone looking to talk to their parents about it? Um, talk to their parents about going to therapy or talking, like, prior to or during? Um, maybe prior to, prior to or during, or maybe talking to your parents about any, you know, thing mental health. Maybe you don't plan on going to therapy, but you want to express to your parents, you know, hey, I've been out of it. Do you have any advice for anyone talking to their parents about that? Well, I think the best thing for us as, like, Africans in general to do is, like you said, research, but I would always say to start the process first because your therapist that you have will help you through those emotions and show you and work with you on the best approaches that work for you to tell your family. Yeah. So you don't have to take on that situation alone, especially if you're moving towards treatment. Like, you can look at treatment as your main treatment goal can be, I want to learn more about this diagnosis or whatever's going on with me to figure out how I can better explain who I am to my parents. That can be your main treatment goal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If your therapist will work with you as frequently or, you know, as, you know, bi-weekly or bi-monthly as much as you want. Because I feel like a lot of people think that, like, therapy, you have to go to therapy with a problem. You have to go to therapy with turmoil. But, like, if you're saying, like, you know, I have anxiety and depression, you know, I I don't know how to tell my parents about some of the things that they're doing that are either enhancing it or triggering it or whatever it is, you can seek therapy for that because therapy also teaches strategies. It's not always talking through issues it could be like there's, there's so many different forms of therapy you can get like you know strategic like strategic family therapy structural family therapy there's so many different you know dialectical behavioral therapy cognitive behavioral therapy there's so many different forms of therapy that it's not just you and a counselor sitting down on the couch and just talking and then writing mm-hmm. you know there's different ways that therapists can frame um therapy in general that something called goal-oriented therapy where you literally just work with the um, individual on like what goals you want to hit and then we'll help you get there and that's it you know so I I would say that it's important to see consultation first at least just to see where you're at because if you're already uncomfortable speaking on your own behalf about it then you may need more assistance prior to even really saying anything because thinking about saying it prematurely when you're not ready can add more stress to you that is facts Okay, yeah, I think that's a great um, that's a great piece, especially if you're moving toward you know wanting to seek a therapist. You might want to do that and then get the strategies to help you talk to your parents. Um, yeah. I'm I'm definitely looking into and I will repost some low income black therapy resources because I know that um, there are hundreds of millions or multiple millions of people who no longer have health insurance and who no longer, because of losing their jobs or whatever, um, or they just can't afford it. So I'm definitely going to be reposting some low income therapy options and resources for people so that 
you can find the help to bring it up to your parents and get those strategies so you're not left out in the dark. But do you have anything that you want to add to this conversation about mental health, minority mental health? Yeah, like for me, um, I mean, like I said, I see a therapist, I'm very transparent about that. Yeah. Um, and in relation to your question, I told my mom, I was like, uh, prior to, I was like, look, I think everybody really needs to see a therapist. You know, I feel like that would be beneficial. You know, parents, oh, yeah, 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 you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's up for you. And then after I started seeing a therapist, I was actually able to address some of, you know, is- different issues that I had with different people in my life because I was able to talk about it, reflect on it, and then reflect on it on my own after the therapy to the point where I'm like, okay, I fully processed what's happening, I fully processed my feelings, now I can go and speak to this person about what it is I was feeling because before I was unsure. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it's easier to just, you know, take that leap of faith and go to therapy because you stopping and waiting to tell your parents looking for their acceptance, and if they don't accept it, how is that gonna affect your mental health when you're still in a fragile state? You know, so take that leap of faith, like, you know, whether it, whether it's about research or whether you need your some health insurance can give you a free consultation to see if this is something that you do want or if this is a therapist you do want. You know, I just think it's important to just take that leap of faith, like, and, you know, you can't wait for somebody else to tell you to go, you know, because you're going to be missing out on so much growth. Yeah, that is super valid, especially if you are under 25 and you still on your parents health insurance don't be waiting to get the insurance card and see what you can do um with that because if you get into a situation where you you can't easily as easily access therapy then um that would be a lot more difficult for you but i think i think it's super important to not have these conversations prematurely and maybe if you because you're hearing a kind of talk about how she's super transparent when she comes talking about therapy if there's someone in your life or if that someone is me or if that someone is a kind of who you know talks about going to therapy and you have questions you might want to bring it up like hey what has your therapy experience been like i mean don't ask them what they're talking about but what has your therapy experience been like um can you help me find resources if you're looking into or confide in a close friend if you're really wanting to get off your chest but don't bring the subject if it's super fragile for you to talk about and you're not ready to your parents first if you know the reaction that you're going to get is not going to even it's going to put you in a worse mental state than you are already right yeah yeah you try to read the room on that one i'm not sure how easy that would be but just try to gauge like how would my mom respond if I say this? Is she going to tell me no? Is she going to not call me crazy? Is she going to say I need a Jesus? Like, what is she going to say? And if you know, choose wisely how you perceive them there. Right. And I, I think that a lot of, like, children, like, that come from our same cultural background just get so hung up on the fact of, like, oh, like, what will my parents do or what will my parents mm-hmm. say? But it's like... We know what they're going to say, so instead of sitting there pondering what, what's going to happen or what you feel will happen, because we've all heard it before, yeah. that's why you're afraid of what they're going to say, because you've heard it before. So you just need to take that leap of faith, faith and just use the self-empowerment that you've had and used throughout your entire life, and just go and get what it is that you need, if it's help, if it's discussion, if it's, you know, play therapy, if it's, you know... You can be around dogs or whatever works for you. You need to do that first because mm-hmm. you're, you're always gonna be, you're always gonna suffer with what it is if you're always waiting for your parents' acceptance, especially with something in relation to mental health. Because mm-hmm. a lot, of, a lot of our parents don't understand that. 
Yeah. Thank you. I think that I think that's a good point. And when I asked you that question, I didn't really know. I was looking for the advice too. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I definitely think that makes a lot of sense. But um, this is July, so it is Minority Mental Health Month. And so I'm happy that we were able to... <laughs> you said really? <laughs> the only reason I'm laughing is because I had the same reaction when I found out. It's like, okay, I didn't know we had, but yes, it's July, so it is Minority Mental Health Month. So all I have to say to the people listening is take this time to do something good for your mental health, whether that's finding a therapist, whether that is subscribing to all of the mental health um, therapy apps not therapy apps, therapy podcasts, um, mental health and therapy pages on Instagram. There's literally so many resources. So make sure you use July to prioritize that and even put a good ground and framework for your mental health in July and let's get through the rest of 2020 because we have, what, five more months now of this terrible, terrible year. So... it's literally just for the shit show the entire time and that is literally that alone might be the reason why you need therapy so if you don't have any reason at all that alone might be the reason anything else you want to share no that's it um if you guys ever need anyone to talk to you can always hit me at your way up on our socials yeah Um, share your social taking that first step okay so my instagram let me make sure because i feel like i always change my name but it's really annoying (laughs) Um, my Instagram is um, at AK the Great with like it's D so T H E E S at AK the Great underscore, mm-hmm. um, and that is my Instagram and Twitter name as well. Nice. Um, yes. Okay, I'm definitely gonna put all of her information in the description box, so look out for that. And yeah, thank you, Kuna, so much for being a guest on this episode. I am definitely gonna have you back. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna have you back. And um, I just watch out for the text messages coming. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll look out for it. Thank you so much, Joy. I had a great time. Not a problem. Not a problem. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. Bye.